0: Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.
1: Hey, everyone, and welcome back to Big Mad True Crime, where we get big mad over true crime. I'm your host, Heather Ashley, and today's case is out of Plano, Texas. Small talk sucks, so let's dive in. Christina Morris was born on July 25th, 1991 in Wiley, Texas, which is coincidentally the onion capital of the world. She went on to move to Allen, Texas, which is a suburb of Dallas, which is what she truly considered home. Christina was vibrant in every sense of the word and was the kind of person who always made you feel better about yourself. If you didn't believe in you, Christina did, and she made sure you knew it. She had a big personality, some describing her as goofy, quirky, and passionate. But the bottom line here was that if you knew Christina, you loved her. After graduating from Allen High School in 2009, Christina headed off to the University of Texas at Dallas, and in 2013, she officially got her bachelor's in marketing. Sometimes college degrees can feel like a little bit of a waste when it comes to actually trying to get a job with them, but that wasn't the case for Christina. Pretty soon after graduating, she landed a job working for a dating service. She didn't need that dating service, though, because she had a boyfriend named Hunter. Christina and Hunter were getting pretty serious, and before long, she moved an hour away to Fort Worth to move in with him. On Friday, August 29, 2014, 23-year-old Christina headed back to her hometown of Allen for a long Labor Day weekend. When her friend from high school, Paulina, heard that she was coming back, she texted some of their other high school friends, and they all made plans to go out that evening. One of those friends was Enrique Orochi. That evening, the group met up at Paulina's apartment, which was just 10 minutes outside of Allen, and the shops at Legacy in Plano. It was one of those areas where 20-somethings absolutely just want to live because it's littered with apartments, restaurants, shops, and bars. Christina got there at around 9 p.m., followed by Enrique and two other friends, Sabrina and Steven. About an hour after that, three other friends arrived together, and everyone started pre-gaming at Paulina's before heading out to two bars at the complex. Before they could head out to those bars, the guests at Paulina's needed to move their cars. According to court documents, several members of the group had parked their cars in a parking garage at Paulina's complex, and that was kind of a no no because there was only limited parking for residents and the rest of the spots were only one hour use. The friends hopped in their vehicles, pulled out of Paulina's garage, and parked in a different one by a bar called Henry's Tavern. There was plenty of parking available, so most of them were able to park pretty close to one another, and Christina parked her silver Toyota Celica just one space away from. Enrique's Gray Camaro. With a parking debacle all cleared up, the friends went out drinking, hitting up two different bars that night. Henry's Tavern, right by the garage, and Scruffy Duffy's. When the bars closed at 2 a.m., three of the friends went home while the rest of the group, Paulina, Christina, Enrique, Sabrina, and Steven, headed back to Paulina's place. Court documents state that around this time, Christina started getting increasingly upset. She was trying to talk to her boyfriend, Hunter, but he had stopped answering her texts after 2.03 a.m., over the next hour, Christina sent a number of texts to Hunter. It was obvious she was upset, but Hunter never responded. She'd asked him if he could come pick her up at Paulina's. what was going on since he wasn't responding, and begging him to text her back. He didn't, but the text continued, with her saying she lost her keys and that she needed to work the next morning. She then let him know that she had found her keys but was too drunk and needed him to come pick her up. She told him she wasn't okay and that her phone was going to die. After 3 a.m., Christina's text became more distraught. At 3.10, she texted, you lost the best thing to ever happen to you. Three minutes later, she added, you will see one day. Three minutes after that, Christina texted, taking a taxi home and see a one day. At 3.29, she begged Hunter to answer her, letting him know that she wasn't angry. Christina sent a few more texts at that time saying she was going to drive home and she wanted to be able to get into their home in Fort Worth. The last text message from Christina to Hunter was sent at 3.48 a.m. Throughout this entire time, he didn't respond at all, which left her upset and crying. Paulina and Steven tried to console her and Christina considered spending the night at Paulina's, but changed her mind and decided to go back to Fort Worth. Any female can tell you that parking garages are terrifying. Christina had made up her mind that she wanted to go home, but she didn't want to walk to her car in the parking garage alone. Christina was a whole 5'2 and 100 pounds and openly afraid of the dark. She wouldn't even walk to her own mailbox in the dark, so Enrique offered to walk with her. The two got up and left Paulina's apartment together. Hey guys, I'm a subscription service hoarder. I don't have cable, but I also don't want to miss out on good TV, and because of that, if there's a streaming app, I probably have it. Unfortunately, I can also be a little bit forgetful, and as it turns out, at some point, I managed to sign up for the same streaming service twice. This definitely felt like a me problem when it happened, but apparently more than like 80% of people have subscriptions that they've forgotten about it that they've forgotten about. Thankfully, however, Rocket Money is there to point out little whoopsies like mine and will even take care of the cancellation process for you. According to court documents, Stephen waited about 10 minutes before he called Christina to make sure that she had made it to her car safely. She answered his call and let him know that she was actually still walking but was almost there. She told him that she'd text him once she got inside and didn't sound scared or worried at all. Stephen waited five more minutes before he texted Christina to see if she had made it there yet but got no response. He called her several times but each time they went straight to voicemail. Christina had said her phone was about to die before she left, so he just chalked it up to a bad battery, and the night went on and everyone went to sleep. No one had any idea that something terrible may have happened. Stephen called Christina the next day, August 30th, but her calls were still going to voicemail. She was scheduled to work that morning, but she never showed up. This was unlike Christina because she was a great employee who did not skip work. A co-worker called her to figure out where she was, but she too got no response. The co-worker was getting worried, so she contacted their supervisor, and the supervisor made several attempts to get a hold of Christina, but as you can imagine, she never answered. The supervisor had a bad feeling, so she got in contact with one of Christina's friends and that friend reached out to Christina's family. According to court documents, with the news of her no-call-no-show at work, Christina's father Mark and stepmother Anna and her mom Johnny all started calling her friends and learned that the last time Christina had been seen was when she left Paulina's apartment with Enrique. They were able to track down Enrique's phone number and speak to him, and Enrique told Anna that he and Christina left Paulina's apartment at the same time, but When they got to the sidewalk, they went their separate ways. Enrique said when Christina went off on her own, she was on the phone with someone and talking loudly. That was certainly a story, but it was one that didn't seem like Christina at all. She wanted someone to walk with her because she was afraid, not so she could walk alone. That defeats the entire purpose of all of it. It was at that point that Anna felt like something was really, really wrong. Three days later, on the evening of September 2nd, Christina's dad contacted police and officially reported her missing. When an officer arrived to take the missing persons report, Mark told them everything he knew, that Christina had gone out with friends at the shops at Legacy on the night of August 29th, and that she was last seen leaving with a friend from high school named Enrique Orochi. After meeting with Mark, the police officer went straight to the shops at Legacy and spotted Christina's car still parked in the parking garage. The car was parked normally, the doors were locked, and nothing seemed out of place. Officers searched every level of that parking garage but found nothing suspicious at all. CSI technicians even used alternative light source and Blue Star to search for blood or other bodily fluids, but they didn't find anything. Christina's car was impounded by police and processed by crime scene techs, but no important evidence was found. With no sign of Christina anywhere, police and family organized extensive physical searches and plastered the area with posters, but for months and months, nothing was found. Going back in time, back to September 3rd, the day after Christina was reported missing, detectives invited Enrique down to the police station to have a chat. He told them that he and Christina had parted ways at the end of the apartment complex because they were parked in different garages. Enrique claimed Christina was talking to someone on her cell phone as she walked away. He said he wasn't paying attention to her conversation, though, because he was talking to his girlfriend on his phone that should be pretty easy to prove. Detectives asked Enrique if they could look through his phone log and see when he called his girlfriend, and that's when the mental gymnastics began. Enrique changed his story and said, oh, no, 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 they hadn't been talking on the phone, they'd actually been texting, which should also be easy to prove, so detectives asked if they could look through his text messages and if those would show what time they were sent, and Enrique looked down at his phone and scrolled for a couple of minutes before saying that the texts weren't there because his phone was set up to automatically delete older messages, and I trust no one who uses that feature. Nothing about Enrique felt right, so detectives asked if they could take a look at his car, and for the first time ever, he said yes. They escorted him down to the parking lot of the police station, where his 2010 Gray Camaro was parked. While taking pictures, they noticed a dent on the front right side of the fender. They also noted that the interior of the car, specifically the front passenger side floorboard, had been recently vacuumed, and I'm talking they could still see the vacuum marks. It's possible he just so happened to decide to detail his car before heading to the police station, but it was also possible that something really off was going on. That gut feeling that detectives were on the right track only intensified when they noticed bruising on the inside of Enrique's forearm. They kept him talking so they could keep looking, and as time went on, it looked like that forearm bruise may have also contained scratches or bite marks. And his thumb was bruised too. When detectives asked Enrique how he'd gotten those injuries, he said they were from August 29th when he was turning his tires around prior to going out with his friends. He managed to explain every injury he had by saying that a wheel had fallen on his hand, which pissed him off, so he punched the fender of his Camaro, which then dented it. Anyone who has ever met a Camaro owner knows they don't punch their cars. They walk around it in bubble wrap, and unless Enrique is the actual Hulk, I'm calling bullshit on Super Smash Brothers. An accident investigator who later examined the car didn't believe it either. He said the crease was too deep to have been caused by a punch and was more likely from a soft impact with something like the body, the buttocks, the hips, maybe a head. And to add more doubt to Enrique's story, no one at Paulina's that night could remember seeing any injuries on Enrique. According to court documents, right after interviewing Enrique, detectives pulled the security feed from the garage by Henry's Tavern. Security footage showed Enrique and Christina walking into the parking garage together at 3.55 a.m. Point blank period, Enrique is a liar. What was strange, though, was that there was no indication in that footage that anything at all was wrong. Detectives knew they needed to have a second chat with Enrique, so that same evening, still September 3rd, they had him come back in. Enrique told the same story as before that he and Christina left Paulina's together and they'd separated as soon as they were out of the complex, but this time he added that he didn't know where Christina or any of his other friends had parked. Hmm, that's not going to go well. Detectives then showed Enrique a still photograph from the parking garage that showed him and Christina walking in together. Enrique acknowledged that he was the male in the photograph, and in an episode of James and the Giant Reach, he changed his story again. He now claimed that they did enter the parking garage together, he just didn't know where she went inside of it because, you see, Enrique claims that he only walked through the garage to get to a garage near the Blue Martini, which is where he claims to have parked. He went on to tell detectives that he hadn't spoken to Christina on their walk because she seemed upset and was talking loudly on the phone with someone. Enrique insisted that he didn't know where she had parked because he wasn't paying attention and was minding his own business. He then reached even further, claiming not to know the condition Christina was in when they parted ways because it was a blurry night and he sometimes blacked out when he drank too much. And this is where it starts to smell like a future defense. With a Rolodex of stories emerging, detectives had several questions. They asked Enrique if Christina had ever been in his car, and he shook his head no. They asked, not at all, and he replied, never. A head nod and an absolute will never go well in interrogations. Detectives asked Enrique where he went after leaving the garage, and he said he traveled east on Legacy Drive, north on Central Expressway, and exited at Bethany Road. After that, he said he drove straight to his home in Allen, where he lived with his parents. Dude could remember road names, landmarks, and literal directions like East and West, but could not recall the state Christina was in. His potential blackout defense is fleeting by the second. Court documents state that after this second interview, detectives reviewed additional footage from the parking garage by Henry's Tavern. It was there that they learned Enrique's car had most definitely been parked there. To be exact, just one spot away from Christina's. The video showed Enrique's car back out of its parking space at 3.57 a.m. and leaving the garage one minute later, exiting onto Bishop Road. There was no movement around Christina's vehicle, and it was not shown leaving the garage. Christina's car didn't leave, and neither did she. She was last seen entering the garage at 3.55 a.m., and after Enrique's car pulled out, not another soul was seen on that footage for another 20 to 30 minutes. Something had to have happened to Christina in there. It just wasn't caught on camera. This podcast is sponsored by Smalls. Hey guys, I am a cat lady and I'm proud of it. We have Princess Consuela Banana Hammock, Buddy, Trudy, Maya, who came with our house, and Puppy, who followed us home on a walk last summer. They are our snuggly little animal kingdom and I would do anything for them. They want a cat tower, done. They want a second cat tower, Also done. They want to eat Small's for the rest of their lives. Done, done, and done. Small's cat food is protein-packed recipes made with preservative-free ingredients you'd find in your fridge, and it's delivered right to your door. Small's was started back in 2017 by a bunch of regular old wholesome dudes cooking small batches of food in their kitchen for their friends, and a few short years later, they have served millions of meals to cats around the world, mine being five of them. After making the switch to Smalls, 90% of cat owners reported overall health improvements, which is a pretty big deal. I am the momentary queen of this floof kingdom anytime I open a Smalls package around this house. It brings all the cats to the mudroom and additional freeloaders when I put it outside for Maya because she likes the wind in her fur. Their favorite flavor is literally called bird because, frankly, cats can't read and do not care if it's a chicken or a turkey. In summary, a world without Smalls is not one that my cats are interested in. The team at Smalls is so confident that your cat will love their product that you can try it risk-free. That means they'll refund you if your cat won't eat their food. It's 2024. Are you still feeding your cat kibble? Head to Smalls.com BigMad and use promo code BigMad at checkout for 50% off your first order plus free shipping. That's the best offer. you'll find, but you have to use my code BIGMAD for 50% off your first order. One last time, that's promo code BIGMAD for 50% off your first order plus free shipping. According to court documents, police did some deductive reasoning and landed on the theory that they believed Christina was in Enrique's car when he pulled out a digital media specialist with the Plano Police Department conducted a frame-by-frame analysis of the security footage which showed Enrique's car backing out of its space and leaving the garage unfortunately he could not conclude whether or not there was a passenger in Enrique's car due to the tinted windows and it was impossible to determine if there was any damage to the vehicle's fender at that time that was a dead end but their gut was still telling them that Enrique was responsible for Christina's disappearance They did need to investigate all angles, though, so it was time to look into her boyfriend, Hunter. He was uncooperative at first, refusing to allow detectives to see his cell phone, but he did end up giving it to them, though only after deleting certain messages. It was definitely sketchy we can all agree there, but eventually, Hunter gave police an alibi which included the names of two people he said he was out with the night of Christina's disappearance. He said they'd gone to a bar in downtown Dallas, then after the bar closed at 2am, he went to a hotel with some friends where he stayed until morning. Hunter stated that Christina texted him repeatedly at that time, but he didn't read the text and wasn't even looking at his phone. Christina wasn't home when he got there the next day at around 10 or 11am, but he just figured she was still mad at him and she had stayed with her friends. Hunter went out again the following night, which was Saturday, August 30th, and didn't hear from Christina at all. When her dad called him that Monday, which was Labor Day, asking where she was, Hunter started to worry and checked in with Paulina. She said Christina had walked out with Enrique, so Hunter called Enrique, and he claimed he'd walked about halfway with Christina and then parted ways because they were parked in different garages. And we know, and the police know, that's a lie. Court documents state that after speaking to Hunter, police obtained cell tower data that showed Hunter was in Dallas at the time Christina was last seen. His two alibi witnesses also corroborated that he was with them on the night of the 29th and the morning of the 30th. Hunter was cleared as a suspect at this point in Christina's disappearance, but his legal troubles were not over. You see, allegedly, Hunter was a pretty intense drug dealer, and on the night of August 29th, he'd actually sold MDMA to an undercover federal officer, though he didn't realize the extent of his fuck around and find out for quite some time. He was eventually arrested on those federal drug charges and sentenced to 33 months in prison after pleading guilty to conspiracy to distribute MDMA. With Hunter cleared and Christina's disappearance, police focused their attention back on Enrique. On September 4th, two days after Christina was reported missing, Enrique was interviewed for a third time. Detectives told him about that fancy new security footage that showed him parked and pulling out just one space away from Christina's car. They even showed him a photo of his car leaving that garage. They asked Enrique why his car would be leaving a garage he denied parking in, and James and the Giant Reach entered episode 2. Enrique changed his story yet again and claimed that he must have parked it there, he just didn't remember it. But he can remember going east on Na'a and west on Udon Fucked Up. Enrique explained to detectives that he'd taken an Adderall earlier that day and smoked some marijuana. He then drank heavily that night, ten shots of Captain Morgan and three to five beers, so he was too intoxicated to remember that he and Christina had parked in the same garage. First of all, that Adderall would have made him remember the consta-fucking-tushin. Second of all, if he had drank that much, you're the dui of all DUIs, and finding your keys should have been a struggle, let alone pulling neatly out of the garage. But I digress. According to court documents, following this interview, police pulled out warrants for Enrique's phone. They learned that he'd actually called Christina's boyfriend at 3.50 a.m. on the 30th, so five whole minutes before they were seen entering the garage, and then texted him three minutes later saying, hey, I need an ounce, can you hook it up? Two minutes after that, he texted, of that good rock. If you have to clarify the kind of rock you are seeking, you have entered rock bottom. Obviously, police believe he's referring to rock crack cocaine or meth that comes in rock form. Detectives confronted Enrique with the fact that texts and a phone call were made from his cell phone to Hunter just minutes before Christina was last seen on video, but he denied it all, suggesting that he must have let Christina use his phone. So Christina, who couldn't get a hold of her boyfriend to get him to answer her at all, was all of a sudden going to be texting him from some dude's phone, calmly requesting the Good Rock highly unlikely. And didn't this dude just say that he and Christina did not talk to each other during this walk because she was on her own phone talking loudly? Anyway, Enrique was the least reliable witness they were going to find, so it was time to work around him. Detectives interviewed some of Enrique's co-workers at Sprint, and wouldn't you know it, Enrique was supposed to start his shift at 8 a.m. the next morning, but didn't clock in until 10.51. According to a co-worker, he looked kind of hungover from the night before and rough around the edges. The co-worker noticed Enrique was limping, and there were bruises and scrapes that went up his arm. The co-worker also saw what he thought was a bite mark on the inside of Enrique's forearm. A different co-worker noticed a bruise on Enrique's forearm, along with some scratches and cuts. Enrique told the co-workers he'd gotten the injuries during a fight at the shops at Legacy, adding that the person he was fighting had bitten him while Enrique held him in a chokehold. And that sounds like the closest to the sinister truth that he's gotten. But he backpedaled quickly, changing his story to co-workers and going with the one he'd told police, the one where he had dropped a tire on his hand. When police spoke to Enrique's girlfriend, she said that she saw him on the evening of the 30th and noticed that his right hand was hurt and there were cuts on his hand, as well as injuries to his knuckles. When she asked Enrique what had happened, he reiterated that a tire had fallen on his hand while he was working on his rims. Court documents state that on September 6th, detectives had another conversation with Enrique about his injuries, and it's clear that he had had ample time to prepare. Enrique said that he'd used a lifter, which he had in his garage, to turn the tires around on his vehicle, and one of the tires fell on his hand. But when police spoke to Enrique's brother, he said that Enrique used a standard car jack when working on his car, not a lift. So Enrique's still a liar. Also on September 6th, police interviewed Christina's friend Sabrina, who'd been at Paulina's that night. She told police that Enrique consistently tried to hit on her the entire night. He would brush up against her and was incessantly trying to get close to her. Unfortunately for in a relationship Enrique, Sabrina was not interested, and after they all came back to Paulina's apartment that night, Sabrina wanted to lay down on the couch, but creepy Enrique was sitting there and wouldn't move over, so she eventually just went to Paulina's bed and laid down. Approximately ten whole minutes later, Enrique, the man who couldn't be bothered to scooch, came into Paulina's bedroom and said, Fine, I'll just go home. On behalf of every woman in America who's dealt with a man like this, please fucking do. Sabrina remembered that Enrique seemed angry when he said it and believed it was because he wanted to lay on the couch with her. Almost immediately after that encounter is when Enrique and Christina left Paulina's. With that information, police started to theorize that maybe there was a sexual motive behind Christina's disappearance. On September 10th, detectives executed a trash pull at Enrique's house. Trash tells no lies. I mean, Enrique does, but that's a different kind of trash. But according to the evidence list, items located in that trash included various cleaning rags, towels, and cleaning supplies, including an empty 32-ounce bottle of 409 and an empty 32-ounce bottle of all-purpose cleaner with bleach. The cleaning supply containers appear to have been recently purchased. It was suspicious, to say the absolute least, but they needed more. They went back two weeks later for some more trash and collected additional empty bottles of cleaning supplies, including an empty gallon-sized bottle of concentrated Autoban and another empty 32-ounce bottle of multi-surface cleaner. Again, all of the bottles appeared to have been recently purchased. The cleaning supplies were a massive red flag, but they weren't the only one. Along with the empty bottles, detectives found a handwritten note on a yellow piece of paper written in Spanish. The department's translator looked it over and determined it was a list of the following items. Black shirt, texts from the 29th through today's date, bank bills, and cell bills. You, sir! Have my attention. And he also had the police's attention as well. Who handwrites a note and references text by date? A date where you spent time with a woman who went missing and you were the last person to see her. Probably a man who just so happened to be wearing a black shirt when he was seen with her. Now I want to know more about that bank and those cell phone bills. The police continued their investigation into Enrique and focused on what he did after leaving that garage. They were able to track down surveillance footage of Enrique at a Kroger gas station in Allen on August 30th at approximately 10.15 a.m. That would have been roughly six hours after he left the garage. The video showed a Chevy Camaro drive up to a gas pump and Enrique exit the driver's side of the vehicle. He then walked around to the backside of the car, inspected the rear trunk area, then proceeded to pump his gas. Enrique then inspected the passenger side door and wiped the door with an unknown piece of material. So he was obviously concerned about something here, but it gets weirder. Enrique went and pulled out that nasty window squeegee, walked to the backside of his car again, and scrubbed it. Police also learned that at 9.27 a.m. on September 3rd, which was less than 24 hours after Christina's boyfriend and stepmother contacted him to ask about Christina's whereabouts, Enrique went to an automatic car wash. Hey guys, did you know socks, tees, and underwear are the three most requested clothing items in homeless shelters? Bombas knows, and they're doing something about it, making absurdly comfortable versions of all three and donating one for every item sold. With all the clothing brands out there, it's nice to find some basics that don't just feel good, but do good too. As of today, Bombas' One Purchased Equals One Donated commitment has helped customers donate over 100 million essential clothing items to people facing homelessness. That is a level of incredible that's hard to put into words, and it's all possible because of people like us just buying the Bombas they wear every single day. And let me tell you, once you try Bombas, you'll know why that number is so impressive. The comfort geniuses at Bombas have worked some kind of magic to make sure that your everyday things become your favorite things. Whether that's an arch-supporting sock that feels like it was sculpted for your foot, a buttery soft tee with no itchy tag, or underwear that feels like nothing while supporting everything. These clothes are some of the most comfortable items of clothing that I own. And Bombas has a 100% happiness guarantee, and like a really, really good one at that. If you ordered the wrong size, your dog chewed up your sock, or a pair vanished into the abyss in the washing machine, it's easy to get a free return, exchange, or even a replacement. If you're working on your fitness this year, Bombas' athletic socks are precision-engineered for being active with sweat-wicking power, impact cushioning, the ever-important blister defense, and they don't have that annoying toe seam. If you're just trying to relax, Bombas' cozy the game is on point their winter socks are toasty, warm, and like little feet pillows. Oh, and don't even get me started on their slippers. They're my absolute favorite thing that I've ever gotten from Bombas. I will never own anything else. I feel like my feet are always cold and I have a hard time finding slippers that actually keep them warm. It's like somehow regular slippers just insulate the coldness or something, but not my Bombas slippers. I don't know how they make these things, but my feet warm up so fast and stay warm without getting icky. My kids are obsessed with Bombus's long socks and their t-shirts are my husband's standard at this point. Once you try Bombas, it's hard to imagine anything else. Ready to get comfy and give back? Head over to bombas.com slash bigmad and use code bigmad for 20% off your first purchase. That's b-o-m-b-a-s.com slash bigmad and use code bigmad at checkout. It seemed like Enrique's life had revolved around cleaning that car since the moment Christina disappeared and detectives wanted to know why. Court documents state that on September 26, investigators finally got their warrant for Enrique's car. It was taken to the department for processing and additional photos were taken of that right front fender damage. Based on the security camera footage from the Kroger gas station, detectives suggested that the CSI techs focus on the area of the trunk. They sprayed Blue Star inside of the trunk and noted a minor fluorescence on the driver's side of the trunk's floor mat. But that was it. The mat was removed and sent off for further testing. Trying to think of places that might be harder to clean, a tech swabbed the weather stripping rubber seal at the edge of the trunk's opening and sent that off for testing, too. The car was then returned to Enrique because the results were going to take some time. I can't tell you what was going through Enrique's mind at this point, but I can confidently assume that police knew it was just a matter of time before they had the evidence they needed and they would have been right. The trunks, mat, and swabs from the weather stripping seal both tested positive for Christina's DNA. There was enough of her DNA in there to prove that she had to have been inside of that trunk, that it wasn't from some kind of simple touch DNA. It had to have come from either blood or saliva. That right there signaled the probable cause parade, and detectives went to damn town. First things first were those cell phone records on Enrique's list. According to court documents, Enrique's phone records prove that he had lied to police about talking to his girlfriend while he was walking to the parking garage with Christina. A total of zero people are surprised, but let's get into what they did show. Records noted that at 10.41 p.m., Enrique texted his girlfriend that he wanted to see her, but he was tired and needed to rest. He texted her goodnight at 10.44 p.m., and as far as his girlfriend knew, Enrique was at home asleep we know he was not. His girlfriend didn't hear from him for the rest of the night, and according to those cell phone records, he didn't text her again until 10.52 a.m. the following morning, seemingly after he finally clocked into work. Police took a look at cell tower data and determined that both Christina and Enrique's cell phones connected with the same cell towers during the hour after Enrique's car left that garage. The problem with that, Enrique's problem, was that there was no evidence Christina had ever left that garage. At 4.17 a.m., Christina's phone pinged off of a tower near the intersection of the Dallas North Tollway and Highway 121, a.k.a. the Sam Rayburn Tollway. Enrique pinged off of that same tower 10 minutes later. At 4.48 a.m., Christina's phone continued pinging off of that same tower, and Enrique's pinged there again at 4.56. Christina's phone showed no activity after that. We did know that her battery was dying, but Enrique's wasn't. At 5.32 a.m., Enrique's phone pinged off of a cell tower located on East Bethany Drive, not far from his home in Allen. The records prove that Enrique definitely lied about going straight home after leaving the garage, and that Christina had been with Enrique after he left. The cell tower data was good for more than just what happened on the night of Christina's disappearance, though, because they also showed police that on the day after she went missing, Enrique spent a lot of time in the small town of Anna, which is about a 30-minute drive outside of Plano. Because of that, police started focusing their physical searches for Christina in that area. Unfortunately, there was still no sign of her. Cell towers are promising, but they're not exact locations. Cell phone towers have a triangle at the top, and those three sides of the triangle spread out to create coverage. Sometimes you'll get lucky and someone will ping in a crossover section of two towers, but again, that's getting lucky. Detectives knew a general area of where he had been, but they needed to narrow it down, which is where the tolls come in. Detectives compared their tower data with Enrique's toll records and learned that Enrique initially headed northeast on Highway 121, away from Paulina's apartment. At 4.08, his car went through the Custer Road and Highway 121 tolls, and between 4.27 and 4.56, both of their phones moved in a southeasterly direction back towards the direction of Paulina's apartment. Police believed Enrique's car exited the toll road at some point and turned around. But who turns around that late at night with the phone of someone they claim not to have been with pinging along with them? At this point, police were beyond convinced that Christina was in Enrique's car when he left that garage. And based on where her DNA was found, it was likely she was in his trunk. That coupled with Enrique's anger at Sabrina when she declined his advances at Paulina's apartment. Police believed Enrique kidnapped Christina with the intent to violate or abuse her in ways that every woman fears. According to the Plano Star Courier, it wasn't until November, however, that police publicly revealed that Enrique's statements were not adding up. Enrique's family hired a spokesperson who claimed there was no evidence proving Enrique was guilty. His own mother spoke to the media, stating, We have always been willing to communicate with the Morris family and continue to pray for Christina's safe return. We find it unfortunate that this has happened. It's very strange that someone has just disappeared without a trace, but we also find it unacceptable and regretful that they have targeted my son Enrique. If Christina's mother is trying to tar and feather and ruin the name of a young man, she's been very successful. That's not fair. And that statement was not going to age well. In December, police got themselves a fancy little warrant for Enrique's arrest. He was charged with aggravated kidnapping and facing between 5 and 99 years in prison, which is life, by the way. Unfortunately, it is with the possibility of parole. Enrique was arrested on December 12th, and his car was taken into evidence. More photos of the car were taken, but this time showed that the damage previously seen on the front right fender had changed in appearance from the previous photographs. It looked like someone had tried to hammer out the dent from the underside. Following Enrique's arrest, Christina's stepmother, Anna, told the Fort Worth Star-Telegram that the family was glad Enrique had been arrested and they were hoping he would lead them to Christina, which was the ultimate goal. With Enrique behind bars, the physical search for Christina continued every single day. The Dallas Morning News reported that as police continued their investigation into Enrique, they learned that in late 2012 through early 2013, when Enrique was 22, he'd been dating a 16-year-old. He lied to her about his age, claiming he was 19, and he'd also lied to his parents, saying she was 17, but about to be 18. The police spoke to his ex-girlfriend and she explained that she and Enrique had had sex 15 to 20 times in Enrique's home. While the ex said she consented to the sex, she didn't consent to him choking and hitting her, which he sometimes did. I can thankfully report that Enrique was swiftly charged with the sexual assault of a child. He was set to go to trial on that charge after he went to trial for Christina's kidnapping. The details on this monster of a fucking human just get worse as time goes on and whatever. We're, just, we're gonna talk about it. Police found violent deviant pornography on Enrique's cell phone. He used a messaging app called Line to talk about violent pornography and to trade images of women being tortured, raped, and mutilated. Enrique went by the username Mixteamy on that app. And new fucking fear. Unfucking locked. Whatever, get mad about the f bombs. I do not give a shit. Again, this app was called Line for anyone who needs that information. (sighs) In September of 2016, Enrique's trial for kidnapping Christina began. Christina had still not been located at this point. The prosecution opened by saying, Where is Christina Morris? The truth is, I don't know. At the end of this case, you won't either, despite the best investigation imagined. But what I do know and what we will prove is that Enrique is responsible for her disappearance and Enrique is guilty of aggravated kidnapping. The prosecution told the jury they didn't have to agree on a theory of what happened to Christina after she was kidnapped, just that Enrique was guilty of whatever happened to her. According to the Courier Gazette, the prosecution stated their case was based on three pillars of evidence video surveillance, showing Christina and Enrique walking into a parking garage together shortly before her disappearance, DNA found in Enrique's vehicle, and cell phone records showing their phones close together after Enrique left that garage. The prosecution stated the surveillance footage showed Enrique was the last person seen with Christina right before she disappeared. The DNA evidence proved Enrique lied when he said Christina was never in his car, and the cell phone and toll records confirm that he lied to police. Christina was with him after he left the garage, and he did not go directly home. The prosecution also pointed out that when Enrique spoke to the police, he changed his statement multiple times to try and fit whatever new evidence police had gathered. According to the Courier-Gazette, the defense told the jury that Enrique was innocent. They took a swing at the some-other-dude-did-it defense, pointing the finger at Christina's boyfriend, Hunter. The defense tried to explain away all of the prosecution's evidence, saying it was possible Christina had left the garage on foot and the cameras just didn't catch her. That is the equivalent of saying, look, I know the cameras didn't see her, but maybe she's a superhero or something. No. No. On cross-examination, the police admitted it was possible for someone to have left on foot and not be recorded, but only kind of if they knew where the cameras were and were very strategic in how they moved, which is something that does not sound like it would appeal to a drunk and upset Christina who just wanted someone to walk her to her car at 4 a.m. The defense also said the DNA evidence found in Enrique's trunk could have been from contamination in the lab, that the cell tower data wasn't reliable, and that the injuries on Enrique's arm didn't come from a bite. In summary, the evidence was so strong here that all the defense could really say was "nah" uh and hope for the best. Enrique did not take the stand in his own defense, and that was probably the smartest move his attorneys made the entire trial. On September 21st, after deliberating for two days so it was getting a little hairy over there, the jury finally found Enrique guilty of aggravated kidnapping. After the verdict, Christina's stepmother Anna said, I feel like the right thing happened. It's far from over. Christina is still missing. At Enrique's sentencing hearing, Christina's family gave victim impact statements. Her stepmother Anna said, Can you look me in the eye? how can you continue to torture us? How can you sit there and not tell us what happened to our girl? Anna told Enrique that he took away the family's birthday celebrations, their holidays, their traditions, their life. Anna stated, she was not yours to take. Please, I beg you, let me bring my daughter home. Christina's father Mark said he missed his daughter's smile, her laugh, the way she lit up a room. He said every day that she's been missing, he thought about what Enrique could have done to his little girl. As Enrique started fucking smirking, Mark continued saying, She put her trust in you to walk her to her car, and how do you repay that? I can't imagine the fear she went through, but I hope you see that fear where you're going, and I hope you see it every day for the rest of your life. Enrique was sentenced to life in prison with the possibility of parole after 30 years. After his sentencing, the prosecution dropped the charge against him for sexual assault of a child. He was already serving a life sentence, and they felt like they didn't need to take him to trial for another charge, which would have put the victim in the spotlight. After his conviction, Enrique spoke with the Dallas Morning News, maintaining his innocence in the case. He apologized to Christina's family for not being able to help more in the search for her. He urged anyone with information in her disappearance to come forward so that he could be freed and return to his family. The lion, the witch, and the audacity of this bitch. Enrique later appealed his conviction, stating that there wasn't enough evidence to convict him, but the Court of Appeals called absolute bullshit and affirmed his conviction and his sentence. But even though Enrique was finally behind bars exactly where he deserves to be, there was still work to be done because they needed to bring Christina home. On March 7th, 2018, excavators and construction workers were working to clear brush along a creek in the 1800 block of Taylor Boulevard that's about a mile east of Highway 75 in Anna, and it's where they found a skull. This area had been previously searched since it was less than a mile from a cell tower that pinged Enrique's phone the day after Christina was kidnapped. So the Plano police were called to the scene, and they were actually able to recover additional bones and items of clothing. If you thought this case could not get more fucked up than it already is, you would be wrong. For whatever reason, a picture of that skull was posted to Facebook. That's how Christina's mom and stepmom knew it was her. They immediately recognized her facial features, teeth, and everything else that reminded them of their daughter. It crushes my soul to say this, and it crushed it when I read it. But they headed to where the skull was found with flowers in their hand. The remains were sent off for autopsy, which did confirm that they belonged to Christina. It doesn't appear that a cause or manner of death has ever been released publicly, but it's possible no cause of death could be determined due to the condition of her remains, but also not all causes of death can be seen through bones. Not all stabbings or shootings nick a bone or break a bone, and not all strangulations break the hyoid bone if you can even find it. It's pretty small. Enrique has not faced a murder charge. While he is eligible for parole in 2044, I have a very hard time believing that any parole board would take a chance on him. Johnny later spoke to CBS stating that it brings her comfort finally knowing where her daughter is. She said, it brings me peace that when I look at the sky at night, it's a little bit brighter. Why? Because it has the most precious angel that you could ask for up there. For photos pertaining to this case, check out Christina's highlight at the top of my Instagram profile at the Heather Ashley, and join me there today at noon Eastern, where you go live with me, and we talk about today's case and all other true crime cases on your mind. To get access to ad-free and bonus episodes, subscribe to our Apple Premium or head over to our Patreon at patreon.com/bigmadtruecrime, or for just two whole dollars a month, your episodes are totally ad-free. If you love the podcast, feel free to leave a review. It makes my day every single time. And if you have a case you'd like to hear covered, share it with Big Mad True Crime on social media because all cases are covered by listener request. I'll be bringing you a brand new case next week and I cannot wait. But until then, we out. We are officially at the end of this episode, which means that it's time for me to read a review that made my entire day. So let me pull up the nice ones that Kyle has sent me because you guys are the best. I should have done this beforehand, but I was recording. All right, guys. Oh, okay. This one is from Marsha Gardner, and it says, I'm a huge true crime fan. One of my favorites is Housewives of True Crime. We love them. There are people you guys fucking A. I hate it when my computer does that. Why now? It's been open forever. Anywho, she goes on to say, the other day they mentioned this one, and I absolutely love it. I love you. I've already listened to all of 2023, and I'm working on 2022. I love Heather so much. So glad I found her. Marsha, I'm so glad I found you. You're a gem, and I love you so much. Okay? Thank you for being a part of our family. You're one of us. You're the best. We have the coolest listeners ever. Oh, wait. I should probably tell you all of. you. Okay. If you made it this far... That means we're at the hot take. And what the fuck, man? What the fuck? Okay, at first, you know, true crime is true crime. I'm like, okay, she's got a boyfriend. We, we, we got the boyfriend here. It's not going to be good, right. Which turns out he's not a great guy. But that wasn't the bad guy. Nope, no, no. The bad guy was the fucking dude who offered to walk her to her car. Parking garages are fucking terrifying. And it's fucking terrifying because of whatever's already in the garage. Not the person who walked you to the garage. fuck but i guess that's like the reason that they became you know dangerous in the first place because no one's around no one's watching i wish i wish i wish i wish so badly that the cameras could have caught whatever happened to christina when they got to the cars we just don't know that information i guess whatever something blocked it i'm not totally sure they can tell that he backed out they can see when he left but they can't see anything that happened to christina the defense in this case is absolutely just fucking dumb but i mean when you have a shit case because someone's super fucking guilty that's what you get and i'm sure you know whatever there's a point in defense attorneys but you know you can't not shit on them i'm sorry it's impossible the arguments are offensive i get that there's a point because not everybody who's charged is guilty we don't tend to talk about those that doesn't wind up being suggested I can't think of an example at the moment. Anywho, fucking the fact that he smirked at the father, at Christina's father, when he was reading his victim impact statement, the most vulnerable that man will ever be, arguably, smirked at him when he said it pains him to even think about what his daughter might have gone through at the hands of this piece of fucking shit human, and he smirked. And then I go back to the deviant porn that they found on his phone. And that fucking app. Never heard of it in my life. I'm definitely going to Google it. So I'm going to be on like some list for Googling it probably. I don't know if it's like inherently bad or people just use it for bad things. But it's not. I don't know. Whatever. Let's Google it while we're here. Control F app. Always a communication app that connects people's services and information. Open chat. Talk with other users with similar hobbies and interests. It sounds like back alley reddit. Line app. Lawsuit. Let's Google that. What do we find? Line versus line. That sounds dramatic. Privacy lawsuit against app. Oh, fuck. I wish they would have fucking caught the people doing deviant shit. Gross. You know, I don't know. I've never heard of that app in my life. People are disgusting. And then you find out that his... What kind of fucking predator? Like, he not only went after someone who was younger than him and was a minor, which is already just a no... No, no, but that's a word that people like him just don't fucking compute. He went after a minor, he was 22, 16 year old. I have a 16 year old child. What the fuck? No, anyway, he didn't, even, he wasn't even honest with her about his age, and that is psychologically fascinating. He wasn't doing this whole like, I'm so much older than you. I have power, power dynamic. and That's what I'm getting, like, high off of vibe. No, no, no. He wanted her to think he was closer in age to her, which is, f- a psychologist, please weigh in on this. The fuck? And then he lied to his own mommy. He was like, oh, she's 17, but she's almost 18. Like, first of all, your mom wasn't like, you're not bringing a minor in my house. You lost your damn mind. Let me see your license. We're not doing this. No. No, that's not what happened. No, the fuck. Whatever. This guy's disgusting. Absolutely disgusting. I did run a background on him. I don't. I don't think I found anything though, which is shocking. Aside from all this, oh my gosh, I'm gonna do it again while we're on here. There he is. Fucking nasty ass motherfucker. Whatever. Let's look at your emails. Those could be telling. You look like a fucking tapeworm. The charges we talked about in this case. It's gross that people like him get to change the ending for people like christina who made the world a better place and i'd fucking hate it so much i wish that we could turn back time and change things i wish there was like that was part of the justicism because justicism is never gonna feel like justice it's gonna feel like punishment and like what is that i mean he deserves to be in a fucking cell for the rest of his life but it does it still doesn't feel like enough and like i we're very lucky as listeners to not have to live this in real life but I just you know we did Justin Burt's case and you guys learned that his sister who was featured on the episode uh, was a listener of this podcast another true crime podcast prior to what happened to her brother and now it is her real life and I can't imagine that pain and I can't imagine how hard it is to think about punishment and finality at the end of a a sentencing because it it doesn't change the now so i don't know i have so much space in my heart for her family and the families of all the cases people we cover because this is fucking it's agonizing i can't imagine this is such a sad case i'm so sorry there's i it's fucking terrible fuck this guy and fucking broom he came and oh no I love you guys. You're the best. Thanks for opening your heart to these cases. You're amazing. Thanks for learning and teaching other people what you learn and caring. It means a lot to everybody. You're amazing.